Welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast, where each episode we showcase exciting new companies from around the world. This podcast is produced by Established, creators of the Startup of the Year program. Established is focused on helping organizations with their innovation, startup, and communication strategies. Welcome back to the Startup of the Year podcast. Hope you're having a great day. I'm Frank Gruber, the co-founder and co-CEO of Established, co-founder of Established Ventures, and the team behind the Startup of the Year community and this very podcast, and we appreciate you being here, so thank you so much. On this episode, I'm going to talk to Taraj Parang. He's the president and uh, COO of Serve Robotics, and he's the operating advisor over at PearVC. He's previously built and sold companies like Jackster, uh, as well as another company, and helped in the acquisition of webs.com to uh, Vistaprint for $117 million dollars. He also spent uh, time as an acquirer over at uh, GoDaddy, where he acquired dozens of companies, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. He's now the author of a book called Exit Path, How to Win the Startup Endgame, which provides lots of lessons uh, learned over his career about uh, startup acquisitions and the experience he's had in Silicon Valley since the late 90s. It just was released in August of 2022, and you can pick up a copy over at ExitPath.net. Now I want to take a moment to uh, highlight one of the startups in our community, on today's episode, the company is Rootlow, which is a mobile application helping companies and employees to successfully navigate the shift, the cultural shift, I guess you could say, and structural shift in uh, remote work and where work is done. Today, Rootlow's app is a virtual water cooler for 15 companies across 30 cities. It's creating a space for remote employees to collaborate and build culture. Sounds pretty interesting. Culture is very important, and uh, I can see how it's, it's, it's tougher now that we're all remote. Uh, learn more over at uh, rootlow.com if you go to R-O-O-T-L-O.com. All right, before we jump into the interview, I wanted to share a little housekeeping here and uh, need your help. It's uh, that time of the year again where we're voting for panels that will be at the South by Southwest Interactive Conference down in, in Austin, Texas in March of 2023. So I actually got a panel I submitted and it's and it's been accepted to be voted on, and now I just need your support. So the panel is called 2023 and Beyond, the Future of Startup Investments. So it's right up the alley of Startup of the Year and everything we're about. Um, I've got myself on that as one of the, the folks that will be kind of leading the conversation. But we've got a group of great investors, including Erica Dunning-Minahan from Rain Ventures, Aziz Galani from Mercury uh, Fund, and we've got Cheryl Campos from Republic. And the idea here is that we're going to focus on kind of the the history of of the asset class venture capital and kind of dive into how that's changed over the years and how there's been a transformation in VC and the infrastructure, uh, industrial structure there for startups, as well as how angel investing has been, you know, risen to the point where now we can actually invest in things on crowd crowdfunding platforms such as Republic and others. And thanks to the Jobs Act, that's become a possibility and how it's just changed in general. And so uh, we're going to reflect on the history of startup funding, explore the various startup investment types, and call out notable trends, and then obviously give a glimpse of what uh, might be, what might might come in the future, as well as you know gaining insights from these great investors on what they're looking for to land the deal, and uh, or what they look at maybe declining a deal. So it should be helpful for any investors or any startups out there, as well as investors alike. So all I need is your support. So I just need your vote, and all you need to do is go to the website for the panel picker and sign up and cast a vote with a little upvote. You can vote for more than one panel, so it's not exclusive. You can vote for other friends of yours panels as well, and we just need your your help here. So if you go to bit.ly, B-I-T 
bit.ly forward slash ESTSX23. And you do that before August 21st, um, you will help us get in there. So just again, it's bit.ly forward slash ESTSX23. Really appreciate all your support. And uh, hopefully we'll be down in Austin in March. Now let's take a second to catch up with Taraj Parang. Welcome, Taraj. Thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you, Frank. Glad right. to be here. I'm excited. I'm excited because you're on our podcast. You've got a new book out, and it's uh, called Exit Path, How to Win the Startup Endgame. And uh, that's something a lot of startups need to do. So I, I really, uh, you know, digging in, you know, into the book and into your background, um, loved everything about it because you've been a startup founder that's quite, had a company acquired. You have jumped onto other companies to help them get acquired. And you've also been an acquirer at, uh, at GoDaddy. So I want to jump in first, but kind of setting the base for all of our listeners. Um, and we'll get to the book here shortly, but, and it probably is, you know, something that you, you, you know, has some overlap there too, but you founded your company Jackster back in 2008. You raised $20 million from a lot of notable, notable event investors. You grew the company to 10 million users and, uh, and then the financial crisis hit and boom, um, you had to do something. I'd love you to take us back to that experience and you know share what you learned in some of those experiences. Yes, thanks. Yes, I, I, I guess I've had a pretty non-traditional career path, you know, in Silicon Valley since uh, the late '90s. I started out as a lawyer, and then I soon realized that uh, my heart was in entrepreneurship and I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I hadn't quite worked up the risk appetite to be a full-time entrepreneur yet. So I kind of dipped my toes in the water first and became a VC and uh, sort of got my MBA on the job as a uh, associate at a, a European venture capital firm that had um, started an office here in Palo Alto. Um, after a few years of doing that, I actually went back to law and uh, uh, practice corporate law for some uh, couple of years and then re reconfirmed my initial hypothesis that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so started Jackster in 2005. And uh, that, uh, we, we kind of had an aha moment, which was the following. We, we knew that folks love to be on their mobile phones and love to call and text on their mobile phones, but it was super expensive. So at the time, this is, this is the prehistoric pre-iPhone era where you didn't have apps on your phone and you had to pay an arm and a leg to send a text message. You paid per text message. And you also uh, had to uh, basically go bankrupt if you wanted to call long distance. And long distance was just between different area codes, not from a country to another country. Um, we thought that internet could change that by transporting these packets over IP, voice over IP, we would call it. And um, uh, we put this company together. And also we thought, hey, look, people love to be on their uh, social network profile. So why don't we bridge the two, create a widget that you could put on your MySpace or Friendster profiles. Um, these are pre-runners pre to Facebook and um, uh, have people call you and text you using those widgets. Lo and behold, um, uh, we were onto something. So that's hence the reason we grew to 10 million users within the first year of actually launching the product and wow. being very popular with investors uh, and having our, you know, really our wish list of uh, top tier investors that invested in us. So we were very lucky in that regard. We weren't alone. There were at least three other competitors which had very similar ideas. And we had a good run, all of us, from 2005 to 2008, 2009. 
And uh, as you know, <laughs> uh, 2008-2009 was a pretty bad time in Silicon Rough. Valley in the yeah. tech world, right? Um, yep. The Great Recession, right? And um, it was not unlike what we are experiencing today, right? So venture capital dried up, no one was investing, uh, and um, it just was tough for us to raise another round. We um, we tried. Uh, our existing investors were not investing anymore, or they were looking at only portfolio companies who were had reached that profitability uh, or had a profitability basically uh, in the roadmap. We didn't because our our mission was grow, grow, grow. We wanted to get market share. And uh, we couldn't also raise from new investors. So we had only six months of cash in our bank before we would go out of business. So we scrambled to find an acquirer. And uh, I later learned that you need far more than six months to land yeah. a good uh, a good sale. I mean, it was um, desperation at that point, right? So exactly. that's not a great position to be in, but you were able to pull it together. Worst possible position to be in. We were lucky enough to have at least even one acquirer, but that was the only acquirer. So they named their price. And I would say it would be generous to label it as pennies on the dollar. It would be basically, no one really got anything out of that transaction other than we transferred some of the IP and user base to somebody else. Um, so it was a really, really tough uh, outcome for everyone. And uh, I took six months to basically lick my wounds and see what happened. The problem was that those other three companies that I mentioned that had started at the same time, they all had incredible exits. Uh, one of them, Grand Central, got sold to Google and became Google Voice. Oh boy. Uh, another one, um, Ribbit, um, they yep. sold a year before we went down uh, and, uh, to British Telecom for 100 million pounds before they had even launched the product publicly. Wow. And Jaja sold a couple of months after us to Telefonica for $200 million. So we were the outlier in the worst possible sense. And so I kind of reflected on that and I realized that there was one big mistake, strategic mistake we made. And I tried to reverse that with my next startups with much more radically different results. What was that mistake? What was the thing that you didn't do in that situation? Yeah, as you may have guessed, it was the fact that we didn't pursue any partnerships or any acquirers. We uh, were single. We, we really thought we had it figured out. We thought we were going for gold. We were on the path to IPO. We were a hot startup. And, uh, you know, I would say arrogance and hubris set in a little bit. We were too comfortable. Uh, and we decided, look, we'll just focus on growing our business and we don't need to distract ourselves with partnerships or strategic acquires or things like that. We were just going to focus. Um, that turned out to be a mistake. So <laughs> All 100% these other... growth, 100% right. growth, 100% yes. product. Yes. Okay, so yes. what would you say then to founders now, knowing what you know, you know, when's the right time to, to be starting to think about, okay, have an exit path? Is there is it the beginning, middle? Should you always be thinking about that just in case? Like what's, what do you, what do yeah. you think is the yeah. right timing? Yeah, the TLDR on that is that Yesterday should be the time you, you think about creating your exit path. Um, you never know when another crisis is on the horizon or where there might be an acquirer knocking on your door. So yeah. it's best to prepare before you need to be at that stage. I actually explain in my book in uh, very great details as to why that is the case. And uh, there are all these things you can do as an entrepreneur to improve your leverage to improve your position, your odds of success, 
and to get the best possible outcome. Now, you don't have to even want to sell, uh, even in case of an IPO, if you have acquirers at the door, you, you turn out to have a much better IPO success. Um, uh, what I did basically with my next startup was that the first thing I did was get everyone to a strategic offsite. It seemed like a luxury and a bit of a distraction at the time, but I said, let's, let's not repeat the same mistake I made in the past. So uh, people luckily agreed. We went off to an offsite for a weekend. We examined where we wanted to be when we grow up and uh, what we wanted to uh, be a success scenario for us. And in, in, in that scenario analysis, acquisition was a very likely path. And we uh, put the wish list of our acquirers on the board, started ranking them, started thinking about what would be appealing to them uh, about us and why would they be appealing to us. And that exercise alone set in motion a course of events that two years later led to an amazing sale of that startup. This was webs.com. We sold it to Vistaprint. Yep. We were highly sought after by multiple acquirers. And um, we uh, basically could name our price. And uh, it was a very different outcome from my past company. Um, in fact, we sold over 10x revenues, forward revenues, um, which was, uh, you know, in any market, that's a pretty, pretty nice deal. Absolutely. And that company, I definitely know and, and ran into back in the day when I was running Techco Media or Tech.co. Um, and, you know, no Haroon from back in the DC days. So that that was a big success for the area as well for the DC region. And um, yeah, I didn't hadn't heard that story before. So I, I love hearing that. I wanted to hear more about how um, how did you, how that all came together. Like I, I know it sounds like you you did the offsite, and then did you just start reaching out to those acquirers, or how, how would one approach? You know what mo what some people have as relationships already. You know how do, how do you approach that as a, as yeah. a um, as a company? Yeah, it's it's a it's a multi pronged thing. Uh, I mean, part of it is is building those relationships. A central part of it is building those relationships. Uh, the other part of it is having the right strategy, knowing actually what your real value proposition is, who your target customers is. For instance, one thing that came out of that offsite was the fact that we were a generic website creation platform. But then when we looked uh, behind the data, we realized that one cohort of our customers were converting uh, the most to paid users. They were staying the longest with us. Uh, so they were the most valuable cohort. And they actually tended to be the, the ones that complained the least. So across all metrics, this was a glowing cohort. And they turned out to be the small businesses. Um, so we doubled down on small businesses. And then we also looked at, okay, if we were to be appealing to an acquirer in that space, like Vistaprint or Intuit, what would be the things that they would be looking for? We couldn't possibly gather enough customers or paying customers that would be meaningful to them, but what would be the other things, right? So what gaps of technology, for instance, would they have? What could we bring to them? And all of these led to a series of acquisitions of our own. I did. I acquired a couple of companies. I in strategic um, deals with others, other startups to complete our solution suite to be a platform for small businesses to go digital, go online across web, mobile, and social. And so we, we created that kind of package uh, that, that was very attractive to potential acquirers and also attractive to our customers. Now to build those relationships, then we approached uh, our wish lists and we started telling them, look, we are here, we are, we are addressing the same 
customers. Perhaps we have things that you would want to put in front of your customers of this uh, type uh, or in this segment. And then we started having those conversations. Uh, a lot of them didn't immediately turn into a, a joint venture or co-marketing or anything um, uh, commercial, but we got on the radar. And that was the critical part. Like if you can establish frequent communications with someone and be on their radar, over time, they start trusting you. They, you start building that confidence and rapport. Then when they are in the uh, market to acquire, you would be under consideration set. That's great advice. I call those breadcrumbs. You're dropping breadcrumbs for people go. to kind of come and take a nibble and stay connected and, and build that relationship further. So that's that's fantastic advice 100%. for anybody out there um, that's building their company. Um, let's let's move a little bit further down the timeline here with your, your uh, work at GoDaddy. You came in there uh, and did a lot of acquisitions uh, with that company uh, and your team uh, there, some of which were um, Main Hub, Main Street Hub, uh, Newstar, yes. which is it was a big big company actually, yes. um, Dot Club, and many others. And actually, we're very familiar with Newstar. We've worked with them and that team uh, at Newstar uh, when they were Dot Co. Yes. <laughs> for that team yes. as well. So very familiar there because we were back in the day Tech Dot Co. So mm-hmm. um, so how how um. How can you share? Can you share a little bit more about um, how you found the companies there that you wanted to end up acquiring? Because I think now we're switching gears. And we're on the other side of it. You're the acquirer, yeah. and you did, it sounds like you did a little bit of that at Webs.com too. But yes, share share like from everyone. Put you know, everyone to be in your position or in your shoes as you're looking at companies. What are you thinking about? So we can kind of think about it and reverse engineer success. Yes, yes, and uh, sort of maybe stepping back a little bit. The reason I went to GoDaddy was that. The mission of GoDaddy really resonated with me. Again, we we at uh, Webzoscom we pivoted to be a small business uh, solution uh, platform, and uh, GoDaddy's mission was to tilt the global economy towards small business. So I felt like it was a natural sort of uh, next step for me from Webs to go to GoDaddy. Also, the team at GoDaddy, some of the the folks that I had recruited to webs.com as advisors in the M&A process, joined GoDaddy because their own companies got acquired by GoDaddy or they were executives um, that were hired by GoDaddy. So I started seeing that they're they're putting together this kind of brain trust. This was right before the IPO. And um, uh, when I kind of talked to the team, I just fell in love with the culture, with the mission. And so I joined and, and really, uh, what the corporate development in which I was a part of uh, was responsible for was to complete uh, sort of the set of solutions that GoDaddy was br- bringing to market and and plan our strategy uh, uh, beyond the next quarter and and the next year even kind of long term strategy and think about various business units where they wanted to grow and in fact add new business units such as telephony telephony was not even uh, part of the good any solutions that was that came to us through an acquisition that i did um so good fundamentally has been known as a domain uh, registrar right somebody you go to to get your domain name and who gets a domain name right a lot of people with an idea so nascent entrepreneurs folks with just at the not even a napkin stage right this is the idea stage of a business they go and basically get their domain name so godaddy sees the ideas very early on and those businesses are for godaddy to lose so we have the first dibs on those small businesses so the, the mission is how can 
can we then provide more and more solutions for these small businesses that have come to GoDaddy at pretty low customer acquisition cost because of the strength of the brand and hundreds of millions of dollars that have been invested in marketing, et cetera. We, we acquired customers quite cheaply, but then we weren't uh, capturing uh, the share of the wallet of the customer as much as, for instance, other folks in the small business sector were, were doing that. So a lot of these acquisitions we made was to complete the solution suite that GoDaddy was bringing to small businesses and make sure that they stay with us as, as much as possible and, and get as many services as they want in one, basically one-stop shop for everything they need for their small businesses to get online and to succeed online. Oh, that's amazing. It sounds like you're the uh, perfect person for any startup that's trying to get acquired or acquire or build build a uh, acquirable company. It sounds like some amazing uh, experiences you've had. And, and obviously, uh, we'll talk about the book in a second, but it sounds like a lot of that's been packaged up for others to read. So really exciting stuff. Um, now you're back. You kind of went full circle. You're Well, not totally. You, you were, did some lofts <laughs> first, but you're back as a VC at uh, Pair VC. And w- tell me a little bit more about what you're doing there, and then we'll jump right into the book. Yes, thank you. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of wearing two hats actually now. Um, uh, I am an uh, um, operating advisor at PairVC. PairVC uh, is a top tier early stage fund, you know, early investors in like seed investors, uh, in DoorDash, etc., Gusto, uh, a number of uh, uh, very uh, big companies now. Um, and we've been around since 2014. Um, uh, and our thesis is really to back founders and support them at very, very early stages, kind of seed, even soil, uh, we used to call it. This is like very nascent uh, entrepreneurs who are coming out of Stanford, other colleges, and they just want to create basically something around that idea. Um, so I am a mentor basically to the fund. Um, I'm not an investing partner. I'm, I, I'm an advisor that helps with an operational strategy, um, uh, et cetera, with the fund. Um, and uh, my full-time day job though, is uh, being president and chief operating officer at Serve Robotics, which is a company that uh, was started by a good friend of mine. And I helped spin it out of Uber uh, and Postmates uh, about 18 months ago. And what we do is uh, we create these cute autonomous robots that do deliveries on the sidewalks right now. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I <Yes>. love it. <laughs> I didn't realize so, that. So that's that's really cool. And I definitely know I've seen these these robots written about and, and whatnot. And um, that's really, really cool. And I can't that team has to be super excited to have you on board. I mean. I'm excited. I'm I'm lucky to be with them. It's uh, it's been a project. It, 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 the project started under Postmates in 2017 as a special uh, kind of project, and um, have uh, the team had done tens of thousands of deliveries in the LA area before we spun it out. So it was a very mature technology, and we are 100, over 100 people now, and very excited by what we are doing because uh, it's really has the potential to transform our cities and really bring a lot of efficiencies into the logistics space, making deliveries a lot more affordable, help small businesses to following the same theme. Right. Um, and um, uh, also help cities, help the environment. So yes, I'm very excited about that. I, I love that you have this thread throughout that we're very aligned with as well <laughs> over here at Startup the Year of helping you know startups and small businesses um, you know be successful. So um, I could go down that rabbit hole. I could also go down the rabbit hole of robotics because I just want to talk about robots. <laughs> but we're going to continue on and talk about your book, uh, Exit Path, How to Win the Startup Endgame. 
Um, what inspired you? I mean, you kind of shared already, but just want to tighten it up. What inspired you the most to write this book? Um, it was a kind of number of things. First of all, I felt that I'm in a very unique position. Um, uh, I've been in multiple seats around the table, lawyer, VC, uh, a mentor to entrepreneurs, as well as uh, a serial entrepreneur myself that have sold my companies and as well as bought companies. So I felt like I've seen this from every angle and I can help other entrepreneurs based on my learnings, avoid some of those common pitfalls. And of course, the biggest mistake I made with my first startup. So that's one. The other one is that I, I really am a cheerleader for entrepreneurs. That's really why I'm affiliated, for instance, with Pair VC. I, I want to support entrepreneurs because I feel like they're building our future. That's, that's the only way we can have a better future is through innovation and technology and entrepreneurs. And if we can help, if I can help, even a couple of entrepreneurs tilt the odds of success in their favor. I've helped create a better world for my daughters, for our future. So um, a part of it is that just my desire to give back. I've learned so much from so many great entrepreneurs and I wanted to share some of those learnings with others. Oh, that makes sense. That's I love it. That's that's great. And let's jump in. Uh, what are you, you know, what is the you kind of shared it there, but like what's the one like if you could narrow it down, what's the one takeaway? Um, that you'd want people to, if they, you know, they read the book and, and it's the one thing that resonates the most. Yes. Um, I would say first and foremost for me, uh, one of the biggest lessons in my life has been that rela relationships matter so much. So build relationships in business. Don't do anything alone. Uh, get a co-founder, <laughs> surround yourself with great advisors and great team members. And also that extends to your companies and startups, surround yourself with strategic allies, other companies in the ecosystem, get to know your ecosystem and, and be in front of them as much as you can be. So build those relationships. You never know how and when they can help you, but they will. Um, uh, and, you know, it used to be for me, you know, I started as a lawyer, so words were all that important. And then I realized, you know, numbers as a VC was <laughs> a lot more important. And then I've really finally come to realize that it's really the relationships. Every single opportunity I have had has been um, because of someone that I've known or a relationship that I have built. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, companies don't do deals, people do. So um, that would be the number one takeaway. Of course, I provide very concrete, actionable steps on right. how to actually uh, take actions against this, this advice. Um, and anyone, I'm an introvert. Anyone, I think, can become a, a great relationship builder. It takes a little bit more effort for introverts like me. But then you get to actually, you can enjoy it and you can get out there and see the benefits of uh, what others uh, can bring to you and to your startup. No, that makes sense. That relationships matter. Agree, yes. agree 100%. How, um, you know, with the shift in, in, in the work environment and just changes in general, COVID came and, and, and created some changes and, um, you know, people have been dispersed around the country. They aren't all in the same place they used to be. You know, what are some ways that you've figured out to kind of build those relationships? Because it's, it may, some may say it's gotten a little harder. I, I don't know. I'd love to get your take on that. Yes. I mean, COVID has changed the way we have been building relationships, of course. Uh, in some ways, it also has opened up other opportunities, other ways to interact with folks. I think it's made 
the virtual interactions a lot easier. Now, actually, the, the friction of having to get on a plane, go somewhere to meet with someone is less because it's very, very common for you to just get on a video call, right? Um, so um, in some ways, COVID has opened up new possibilities for relationship building. And now when we do get together, it's really special, right? Uh, I know, uh, for instance, LA Tech Week is happening right now. I'm not there, unfortunately, because of some complexity complication, but I know the people who are going to be there are going to really enjoy getting to meet and know, get to know each other. Um, but yeah, I think we, we adapt as human beings. We're quite resilient. And I feel like people have figured their way around uh, uh, the, the remote work and, and, and uh, you know, social distancing stuff. So, but hopefully we are on the tail end of that and uh, we'll be doing a lot more networking in person as well. Yeah, that definitely agree. It's it's making in person a lot more special than it than you know it used to be. And and when you do get that chance, it's um, you know people are excited, <laughs> excited to be back together. So I love that. Um, okay, so maybe uh, you know we're almost at time here. Maybe tell us a little bit uh, a little bit more about some of those actionable steps. Um, you don't have to share all the secrets because people can <laughs> go get the book. But like maybe outline a few of those things that people should be doing if you're a founder or or startup in, in the, you know, on the founding team as you're looking for, you know, options and thinking about, you know, strategy for how to have that exit path, even though maybe that's not what you're thinking about right now, um, you know, just that, so you have it in your back pocket. Yeah, I, I, I can actually take you through the process. I think the process, first and foremost, starts with a mindset. Uh, understanding why an exit is important, regardless of uh, where you are, what size of a startup you have, whether or not you ever intend to sell your startup. Uh, kind of really understanding why this exercise is important to create that exit strategy and implement some steps towards executing it. Um, you know, one, one statistic that I share with founders is that for every IPO, there are 30 acquisitions. And most startups don't even make it. <laughs> they don't survive beyond the fifth year. Venture-backed startups, 70% of them don't even return the money invested in them. So the odds are uh, pretty pretty bad <laughs> uh, for any entrepreneur that goes into the startup world. Uh, but we do it because we have a mission. We, we, are, uh, uh, we believe that there's something we can do to change the world, to bring a product or service to, to the market. And, and so connect with that mission. And understand that part of executing against it is um, uh, having a realistic view of what the future holds and an acquisition could be very much part of the picture for you. So kind of adopting that mindset, really understanding the stats and uh, 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 then the next step is, okay, well, if it is true, uh, if you're believing that there is an acquisition in, in, in possibly in your future, um, then what are the things you can do to make that come to fruition or have the best possible shot at it? Um, um, that's that's kind of the offsite I was talking about, creating yeah. that exit strategy um, and, the, and the blueprint of what a successful exit would look like. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, and I think... Um... That shift in mindset's important because, like, some founders, like you, you mentioned, even when you started your other company, your uh, Jack uh, Jackster, Jackster, yeah, yeah, you, you didn't have that mindset to begin with, and obviously you learned <laughs> to to kind of take that approach. And it's not uh, yes. a knock on you or your company. I think that's the big thing, right? It's not a knock on your, you know, gravitas, you know, what you're trying to yeah, do, right? Like, absolutely. It's just, Failure yeah. can be a great teacher, right? <laughs> if you're willing to learn from it. And to me, that was a that was an excellent teaching learning opportunity. Um, uh, hopefully, others don't make the same mistake. 
I love it. So anyone that's out there that's got a company, large or small, should buy this book and they can get it where? Where's the best place to, to get to acquire this book? Oh, I yes. Uh, you know, uh, it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, but and I have my own website, exitpath.net. All right. Exitpath.net. Start there. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on probably your local bookstores soon. It's it's just new. So it's probably getting out there and distributing. And then also uh, Barnes and Noble, like just do a yes. quick Google search and you'll find it. Um, you can also, is there an audio portion? Audio version is coming out in November. Excellent. Awesome. Love that too. So you can look for that. But it sounds like anybody that has a company should get this book now and start thinking about the mindset that they need to be in. So you have an exit path if you need it. It's always good to have that. So appreciate you taking the time today. Where can people connect with you uh, if they wanted to, to you know, shoot you a note or connect yeah. with you, have a question or whatever? I'm very active on LinkedIn, um, becoming more and more active on Twitter. Uh, and uh, on Twitter, I'm at Turaj, T-O-U-R-A-J. And LinkedIn is T-Parang, T-P-A-R-A-N-G. All right. Thanks so much, Taraj Parang, for being here. It sounds like uh, it's a great book, and we're looking forward to all of our listeners uh, checking it out. So appreciate your time. Thank you, Frank. All right. Thanks so much, Taraj. I appreciate that interview. All those startup founders out there, you should check that out. If you got a dream of selling your company, you should uh, definitely uh, check it out now. All right. If you enjoyed the conversation, please do share it with your friends. We find it helpful to help others. So please help others by sharing. Sharing is caring. And uh, we really appreciate you being here today. As always, if you have a startup idea or want to get it going, today is the best day to start up. Not tomorrow, not the next day. We don't know what's going to happen in the world. Get it going, get it started. And in doing so, I encourage you to join our community for access to support, expert advice, and all the resources that you need to elevate your startup by simply going to startupofyear.com. That's our startup community. And you can apply over there. Just go to startupofyear.com and find the application and join the community today. Until next time, I'm Frank Gruber. Don't forget to hug your loved ones out there. Good luck starting up and uh, thanks for being here. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Be sure to subscribe and we'll be back with another episode soon.